Um, does anybody notice anything different about me today? Um, those of you who I have talked, uh, that have known me from the past, do you see anything different? Uh, yeah, well, thank you. You could say beautiful, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm getting... <laughs> Boy, I've trained her well. No. Uh, what, I am, what I am accentuating is I have cards right now. I do not have sheets of paper. I don't know if you're aware of that, but I'm usually back here, and I'm usually like this. Uh, and uh, Doug has been trying to wean me from that for years, and the reason why he and I were not able to uh, wean ourselves from that is because we were not aware of what it was that we were encountering. And uh, what we were fighting against is uh, the identity that I have as being a competent one. And uh, I actually am better at writing than I am at read at uh, speaking. And so, in second grade, before we could running write, okay, I, I can make this work. Okay, so I am uh, I am a better writer than I am a speaker, and so of course I am going to lean towards that which. I am better at, and so I would write this beautiful thing down, but since it was so beautiful and so wonderful, then I had to read it. Well, that doesn't work very well, but that didn't matter because it was wonderful and it was beautiful and I was good at it, so y'all just had to suffer through it. <laughs> so here, what you don't know is that I am in the process of, um, I am now an example to you of what I am going to suggest that you try in your daily life, I am now doing it. And so I have weaned myself from my identity as the competent one. And what you don't know is right now, I am in a free fall. Um, so I have a trapeze, and my trapeze is I am competent. And I have just let go of that trapeze. I have just let go of that competency, and I am now in a free fall. So for the next half hour, please be impressed, because what you are experiencing is not what I am experiencing. <laughs> there. Card number one, done. <laughs> do we? Oh, you do. This is such a wonderful sermon. Okay, today I'm going to talk about uh, identities. And here are three ways that we can, I'm going to name this talk, okay? How we use our attachments to our identities to protect ourselves from God. How we use our attachment to our identities to protect ourselves from love. How we'd prefer to live from our identities than to live from our essence. And what to do when we're attaching to our false identities rather than living from our essences. Okay. This is what I'm going to be talking about today. And so, whenever I do this, by the way, Brandy, it's awful good to see you. 
Um, whenever I do this, I corral my family because you guys don't know that I have children and I have a husband. And so they are very gracious. And when I say, would you please come and just see what a wonderful person I am, they come. And so if you would like at some point, they're the second row up and they, uh, there's about seven of them there. And I love them dearly and they are wonderful. And so anyway, one of my sons uh, is teaching in China and... Um, he gets to not pay taxes on his money if he comes to the States for only 30 days. Well, he has more than 30 days off. He has two months off, and so they spend one of those months traveling to exotic places that I mispronounce, like Bali instead of Bali. (laughs) And so um, this summer was no different, and in between the time when he finished teaching and the time when he came home, he went to Vietnam and to Bali and to um, Greece and to the Grecian Isles and to Turkey. And being the wonderful son that he is because I raised him, uh, <laughs> he invited his family members to join him. And I was the only one who joined him. And so, as some of you know, I went from RDU to JFK to a airport in Istanbul called Ataturk. And I just wanted to tell you that because I like the way it sounds. And flew from Ataturk to Santorini, took a ferry from Santorini to Mykonos, took a ferry from Mykonos to uh, Athens, flew from Athens to Ataturk, flew from Ataturk to JFK, and then to RDU. So... That was my exciting itinerary. Thank you, dear and precious Kyle. I love you dearly. All right, and so while I am in Mykonos, uh, I am aware that the word that comes to mind is luxuriate. I am in, I'm luxuriating in the feel of the air. I feel like I'm floating. Uh, I feel weightless, and I am marveling at how wonderful this place is feels. Obviously, there's no humidity. Obviously, there is a um, breeze. I'm aware of that, but I am still can't get over the way that my body feels in this environment. I am luxuriating. And while I am luxuriating in this environment, my mind goes back to Raleigh, and I am aware that I feel different in Raleigh than I do in Mykonos. And the image that comes to mind, do I do the same thing? Will you do it? Okay. The image that comes to mind is, this is a cicada, by the way. I have been calling it a Katie did all my life, or a locust. And being the wonderful person I am, I did some research and found out that this critter is called a cicada and not a locust and not a Katie did. So, my mind goes back to Raleigh. And the only metaphor that comes to mind is... I have crawled out of my cicada shell, and I am in this wonderful place where I'm luxuriating in this air that feels like silk. But when this is over, I'm going to have to go back to Raleigh, and it feels like I'm going to have to crawl back into this shell. This is what it feels like. And so I have plenty of time to ponder, and so I'm pondering, what is that? What is it about Mykonos that makes me feel like I have crawled out of my shell? And what is it about Raleigh that makes me feel like I'm living inside of a cicada shell? And I'm sure there are many reasons, but the one that I landed on was that 
in Raleigh, I have attached to several false identities. And those false identities are constricting. So, in Mykonos, I have no identities that I am attaching to. In Mykonos, I am not a mother. In Mykonos, I am not old. In Mykonos, I am not wise. In Mykonos, I am not a teacher. In Mykonos, I am not a counselor. In Mykonos, I am not insecure. There are so many things that I am not in Mykonos. All of the attachments that I have attached to, all of the identities I don't have in Mykonos. So then, of course, the logical question is, so when I come back to Raleigh, do I have to crawl back into that shell? Do I have a choice when it comes to attaching to my identities? Sometimes it helps if you hold it upright instead of upside down. All right. And so this cicada and this attachment I am aware of, I think the answer is yes, which is why I'm here. I think we do have, uh, whether we have a choice on what identities we attach to and whether or not we attach to them. And so I am also aware that these identities that I have attached to, the, one, of the, one of the purposes that it serves is it protects me from God. It protects me from love. And that is one of the things that we all um, have arranged our lives in such a way that we protect ourselves from love. That is something that we are the most afraid of, is love. So this, uh, this thing about attaching to a false identity, let me give you a couple of examples of what I mean when I say attaching to a false identity. Uh, so I have a friend who goes to another church, and he has attached to an identity called the powerful one. And uh, his daughter went on a mission trip this week, and um, she took a... Um, electronic device somewhere that she wasn't supposed to, and it got stolen. And what happened was is that, as a result, the powers that be told her that it would not have gotten stolen if she had not broken the rules. Now, the father is here in the States, and again, he has attached to the powerful one. That's his identity. And he has a daughter whom he cannot protect. And this is causing tremendous uh, emotion inside of him. And he is aware that one of the emotions is anger and hatred. And one of the reasons why anger and hatred works for him is because it reinforces his attachment to his false identity. When he feels angry and when he feels hatred, he gets to live out of his powerful identity. Okay? He is the powerful one, and the anger and the hatred causes him to feel powerful. Now, one of his, as he, as he explores how to grow, how to be a co-creator with God, as he explores that, one of the things that he happens to know is that to the degree that he can be aware of what the powerful feelings are protecting him from, to that degree he can grow. So he is aware that this, these powerful feelings protect him from feeling weak, and protect him from feeling fear, and protect him from feeling powerlessness. Because all these feelings challenge his identity. So this is very helpful for him to know. Now, if he can go 
and explore the how the hatred protects him from the feelings of powerlessness. If he is willing to willing to feel his powerlessness, willing to feel his fear, willing to feel that this is part of who he is as well, then when he decides to make a decision, he can make it from a truer place. So the point being is, is that he can make better decisions when he embraces all of himself and not just the false identity self. Likewise, he had a conflict with his boss. And once more, the anger rose up. And then he found a, uh, a part of his boss's personality where his boss was vulnerable. And he was able to have compassion for his boss. But the reality was, is Roger went from power to power. In other words, the first power was anger. The second power he thinks is a good thing, but he found a vulnerable spot, and so he was still able to reinforce his powerful position. So both instances, he simply lived out of his self-image of the powerful one. Does that make sense? So the first, the anger that he felt reinforced his false image of the powerful one. It fed it. But the second one reinforced his image of the powerful one as well because now he had power because he found a chink in the armor. But both were expressions of the powerful one. Does that make sense? All right, so the point being is is that we all choose our false identities. And our false identities protect us from God and our false identities protect us from love. Until they don't. So, now let's just pretend that I might have an attachment to a false identity called the detached observer. We'll just pretend that, all right? And uh, <laughs> and so, the detached observer, the false identity of the detached observer. It was very interesting at some point, once more, our false identities work for us. So how does this work for me? Well, here's what I observed. I observed that when I talk to people, I talk very abstractly. And uh, in my world, this is me connecting with you. If I go to the abstract world, I get to connect with you. Well, there is something else that is going on as well. And that is, if I talk to you in abstract ways, I have already digested my world I have already come to certain conclusions, and then I have fed you those conclusions. How convenient. Now, what that means is I have taken away from you the data. Therefore, you cannot come to your own conclusions. Therefore, if you don't come to your own conclusions, I have diminished the uh, possibilities that you might come to some conclusions about me that are not favorable. And, of course, we want you to know nothing but the truth, which is... You understand. So, how convenient that I speak in abstract terms. How convenient that I do not give you the nitty-gritty, boring details, thereby enabling you to come to your own conclusions about my life. How convenient that I have pre-digested my life and then handed it to you. So, again, being a detached observer, whereby I speak abstractly, has worked very nicely for me. Except for, it has kept me from God. It has kept me from love, 
and it has kept me from you. So, thank you, Jesus, for helping me be aware of when I am doing that, and you might not notice it, but I promise you, I am giving you so much more nitty-gritty details about my life than I can bear. I told you my itinerary, right? (laughs) An itinerary. (laughs) So be proud of me. I am a great teacher. I am embodying what I am suggesting that you do, so take your head off to me. So anyway... This is me. I am challenging my false identities. I am loosening its grip it has onto me. I am preparing the soil and say, I am open to you. I am open to God. I am open to love. I am being a co-creator. God calls us to be co-creators. And what he says is, who you end up being at the end of your life is as much at your hand as it is at my hand. Cooperate. Cooperate. So this is me cooperating just in case I just happen to be attached to the detached observer. So, of course, you have your own identities. Some people, I know someone who has a false, he's attached to the false identity of playing the fool. And uh, that's his role. He, in every setting, he has to play the fool. Uh, F-O-O-L. And, um, and other people have to play the role of the bad boy. They have to be the bad boy in every setting, or they have to be the righteous one, or they have to be the responsible one, or you get to fill in the blank. Who or what are your identities that you have attached to? What are your false identities? So again, we come back to the question is, when I come back to Raleigh, can I shed my attachment to my false identities? And so the answer is yes. I do get to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. And I will tell you that when you start touching your false identities, uh, it will be uh, serious business. Um, Your identities and your false identities do not stay hidden for no good reason. They stay hidden because they do not want you to challenge them. Uh, It is a, uh, it is a, a challenge to the death. Your false identity says to you on some level, it is you or me, babes, and in case you didn't know it, it's going to be you who dies, not me. And so when you touch your, your false identities, here's what you encounter. You encounter two red eyes, you encounter a hot breath, and you encounter a growl. And I promise you, if you will be aware Something inside of you, when you touch it, is going to growl when you say, I think I will start challenging this false identity. So, um, it is no small thing. So, uh, let's just pretend again that I have an attachment to a false identity called the wise one. <coughs> just pretend. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting around this table. Of course, it's a round table. And, uh, and I have nothing to say. <sighs> so the panic starts rising. I have nothing to say. <gasps> or, horror of horrors, let's say that I say something and it's not that wise. I can even hear it in my own ears that it's not wise at all. But I'm going to bluff my way through it because I'm attached to my false identity. And if you don't get it, it's because you're not smart, not because what I said is not wise. Okay. 
Or, and I'm going to help you believe that too, or let's even worse, let's say that I have said something and I didn't do my homework and I didn't do my research and you did, and you shoot me down. Oh my gosh. So the panic just rises, the throat constricts, the head gets lightheaded. That is what you call triggering. I have been triggered. How do I know that I have been triggered? Because I have physical sensations that tell me I have been triggered. What is the triggering all about? You have just, and I have just touched my false identity. You have exposed me. Remember those red eyes? Remember that hot breath? Remember that growl? You have just exposed a false identity whose whole life depends on it never being exposed. Okay, so now we have this going on. We had this going on. Now, I leave and I have all kinds of stories going on around that incident when my false identity got challenged. Oh, and here's the stories. You are such a fool. When are you ever going to learn to keep your mouth shut? Why in the world did you say what you said? I'm telling you the stories start escalating. And so then I come to this conclusion, which of course is the most logical conclusion in the world. I'm not coming back. I'm going to exit. That'll solve it, right? Do you know how many thousands of times I have exited this church? <laughs> it's just the most logical thing in the world. I mean, and so, anyway, um, that's, that's, that's the process. Um, now, we can tell a different story if you'd like, and that is let's pretend that I don't have an attachment to a false identity. Let's say that I might every once in a while have things to say that are wise, but I'm not attached to a wise identity. Let's say I'm sitting around the table and I have nothing to say. There's just no sensations. Who cares? Or let's say that I say something and it really is stupid, and I know it and I can hear it. There's no sensations. This is just life. This is what happens. We're human beings. We say things that are stupid. Or let's say that I say something and it really is stupid and you know it's stupid and you call me out. It happens. I put up with your mess, you can put up with my mess. You say things that are stupid, I say things that are stupid. No, there's no sensations. I'm not triggered because I haven't attached to a false identity. How nice that is. All right, so... We've got physical sensations. We've been triggered. <clears throat> it's been exposed. See how good I am? <laughs> Who needs notes except for I don't know what's next? <laughs> no, but really. So this false identity, there is a true identity, and the true identity is only one, and it's true for all of us, and the true identity is the beloved one. There is only one identity that is a true identity. All the others are false identities, and the one true identity is the beloved one. That is the only one. So to the degree that you can process your false identities and get to your true identity, to that degree that you will be living out of your authentic self, your essence self. So again, whenever you decide that you are going to to loosen around your false identities or when you start challenging your false identities or when you start exposing your false identities, uh, it will cost you. 
that growl is a serious growl, and there is a reason why we hang on to our false identities. And it is the grace of God. If Pray. Pray for the grace of God to expose your false identities to you. It takes the grace of God to bring us to that point. The point that, uh, and when we come to that point, it is because we are ready. There are some lies that I cannot bear to be exposed. I cannot bear some truths. Some truths are too big for me to bear. And God is gracious and does not expose certain lies until I am able to bear it. So pray. Pray that God will bring you to the place where you can endure or bear truth. Pray that he will expose your false identities to you. Pray that your false identities will not be your friends but your enemies. Pray that they will feel like that shell of the cicada that shell that just, oh God, I, I can't bear to crawl back into that thing. It is dead now. It is over. Pray that your false identities will feel like the cicada shell that you cannot bear to go back into. So there is a song in a scripture and it says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, where is its life? Then it says it again. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, where is its life? He who would follow Christ in life must follow him in death. He who would follow Christ in life must follow him in death. So our false identities are grains of wheat that there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with an identity. It gets us where we are. Our attachment to it, when God is gracious, will say, enough. This is not who you are. It is too small. This is not who you are. It is too small. The grain of wheat now falls into the ground and dies. And because it's the only trapeze you have, it feels like death. And it's very, very hard and very, very scary. Okay? And so what happens is, he who would follow Christ in life must follow him in death as well. And so, again... When we are in this place of our, our, only, our only identity is all we know, this little grain of wheat, and it's dying, and we don't know what's ahead, um, there is a way that you can process this procedure. There is a way you can process it. And again, let's say that I am attached to the identity of the wise one. And let's say that you trigger me, and it exposes my false identity to myself. There is, a process, there is a way to process this. And what it is, is it is compassion. First of all, you have to be willing to experience the unpleasant sensations. Every triggering that goes on is unpleasant. And so nobody, we will spend a lifetime shutting down these sensations of not feeling them. I am not going to, this, this sensation of insecurity, I'm not going to feel it. I'm not insecure. I don't care if the evidence is there. I can shut you down, insecure feelings, and I am therefore not secure. If I can shut down the feeling, then I am not right. It's called denial. works. Um, uh, the unpleasantness, just all of them, we shut it down. So you have to be willing to experience the unpleasantness of sensations. When your body gives you its gift, when it gives you its gift, you don't shut it down. You receive the sensations that are unpleasant that tell you that you have been triggered and your false identity is exposed. You don't shut it down. You receive its gift. You receive its message. And then you have to have compassion. 
because your ability to grow cannot exceed your ability to have compassion for yourself. The compassion that says, oh, you mean you're this age and you're still insecure? Are you kidding me? It's okay for a 15-year-old to be insecure, but it's not okay for you to be insecure. Well, the reality is, is yes, it is okay for you to be my age and be insecure. It is okay. I get to give myself all kinds of compassion. And so my ability to um, have compassion for that which I receive is uh, non-negotiable. You will not be able to grow past the point that you have compassion for yourself. And you will need a lot of it. And so after the compassion, you can retell your stories in such a way that they reflect more of reality. Yeah, what I said was stupid. They say stupid things too. They can get over it. Okay? So you, your, your defender comes out and says, and your compassion comes out, and then you release it. You let it go. This is how you process triggering. The, um, the results will not be immediate, but long-term you will be uh, in a healthier, better place. You will be living out of your essence, which is a healthy and better place. (coughs) All right, so I'm going to end with this story. If you will put up one more screen, please. Um, This is Mykonos. Um, One of the most wonderful things about uh, Kyle and Diane is they love to walk too. And so whenever we go places, we do lots and lots of walking. And so this was a six-mile walk along the ridge. And um, again, it was just a wonderful time. And again, the air was just luxuriating. But here's the deal. Um, The path was uh, unpredictable. And uh, you never knew what was coming up next and wasn't quite sure where we were going. And sometimes it was gravel, and sometimes it was very slippery granite, and sometimes it was marble, and sometimes it was concrete, and sometimes it was cobblestone. And so this pathway, if you wanted to be uh, responsible um, and careful, you had to look down. You had to be careful. You weren't quite sure where it was going when we went through a town. You weren't sure whether we went right or left. Where was the path? Where was the trail? And so I spent a lot of time doing this, as you can imagine. You know, I am a good person. I'm responsible. And it wasn't too long before I realized and said to myself, Robin, dear, you need to look up. You're missing it. You're missing it. You're being so responsible that you're missing what you are a part of. And so here I am. I am a part of what, uh, if, if, if it was a circle of 360 degrees, a hundred, um, 180 degrees of sky, for heaven's sakes. Uh, and this incredible uh, water, who's just the most beautiful thing in the world, this breeze, this scenario that I am a part of right now, I am missing it because I am watching my step. <coughs> And I also, at that point, told myself, and, dear one, when you do not meditate, you also are missing it. You also are not challenging. Your meditation challenges your false identities. It loosens around your false identities. When you meditate, you are saying... uh, The powerful ones cannot be powerful. The ones who love to think things through are not allowed to think. And the people who are loved to connect, there's nothing to connect to. So you are ensuring an unpleasant experience when you meditate. You are challenging all of your false identities when you are meditating. And the meditation is a pause in how you do life. It's a 
pause in how you do life, and it reminds you that you are part of biggerness than you do, than you are. So here I was in this scenario. I was my head down, and I was missing what I was a part of. I was a missing the bigger picture. And so again, meditation encourages you and reminds you that you are part of a bigger way of doing life than you choose to do. There is more to life than the way you do life. And so the invitation, again, is to ask the question, who are you? What are your false identities? And remind yourself that you have only one identity, and that is you are the beloved one. So pray that you can get to the place where you live out of your true identity, which is the beloved one. So thank you.